hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back, guys. And I start this intro by saying this to you. Do you remember the episode of Celebrity Jeopardy on SNL? Where I believe it was Burt Reynolds who answered Texas with a dollar sign. Well, if you do remember that, then you'll be happy to know that one of our favorite bands, Spittlefield, and our guest who we have on today, Mark Rose, who is the vocalist and guitarist for Spittlefield named a song Texas with a dollar sign. And it's one of my favorite songs. So that's how I tell you that episode 74 of bar down breakdown is with our boy, Mark Rose from Spittlefield. And we are super pumped to have him on and I hope you enjoy our interview. But before we go into that, obviously there's playoff hockey. We got to talk a little bit about playoff hockey because we wouldn't be a hockey podcast if we didn't. So Interesting start to uh, some of the, you know, obviously the qualifying games. Uh, our Islanders were able to squeak one past the, the Panthers, which was awesome to see. Uh, saw some great defense, saw some excellent playmaking in that game. Um, I believe it was uh, Edmonton lost pretty handily to the Blackhawks, if I'm not mistaken, which kind of came out of left field. But maybe it didn't, considering no. the Blackhawks... What? Am I they're, wrong? No, no, they're they're still the Blackhawks. Like they yeah, still have Kane and Taze. Like, and uh, yeah, some other cool stuff. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the Canadians end up uh, beating the Pens. Uh, but all around, cool to have hockey back and getting to watch some of those games. I know I wasn't able to watch as many as as uh, as Mike was because you know he's on his summer vacation. But I'll kind of uh, send it over to you. Maybe you can give us a little bit of insight as to what you saw, what you were thinking. But uh, like I said, it's. Uh, back in the swing man and it's it's great to be it really is it it really doesn't feel like hockey's missed a step and you know yeah it was a little adjusting period to get used to no fans in the, in the stands but i'm already past that like it doesn't even bother me at this point it's not really even anything i'm paying attention to and today as we record this it's sunday august 2nd and this afternoon I sat in a pool float or a pool raft or whatever you, whatever you call it, <laughs> literally all day and watched a hockey game from a pool. Like, hockey needs to change this so that we have more hockey over the summer because that was the most relaxing Sunday I've had in a long time. And it was just, like, the coolest thing. I watched the whole entire Preds and Coyotes game. and literally watched it from a pool float so everyone be jealous because that was (laughs) the coolest experience i've probably ever had and hopefully i can have it again in the future and i'm guessing since like the next season won't start until december they're saying that like 
the end of the regular season and next playoffs will be pushed further into next summer. So at least I have that on the horizon to look forward to, too, because I highly recommend you watch hockey from a pool because it's awesome. (laughs) Yo, that does sound awesome. Um, I got to see if I had a I have a pool. It's like a community pool, you know, so like just bring a TV out, man. Just do it up. Bring a computer out or do whatever. But watching hockey as you float and it's like 92 degrees and you're in a pool is just like an oxymoron <laughs> dude and then you know real quick before we we head into our uh our interview with with mark rose um i just obviously it's kind of taken the new york sports um you know stratosphere by storm but um i'm just seeing the the ping pong bracket and it's like serious business man oh with the islanders <laughs> yeah man like they've got 20 guys are playing. They're doing literally like round robins and they've got a bracket and everything, man. They're, they're not joking around. No. And I, I had a comment because that's the kind of content I want to see from the bubble. I want to see these grown ass men who are like in their late twenties and thirties acting like they're 12 year olds. Like, yeah. Right. Cause you know, they, they, they still have that like inner boy mentality. Like, because they play a sport for a living. So like it's hard for them not to like still have that like competitive edge even for like things like ping ping pong. So like yeah. I'm sure that that is going to get super intense as that bracket gets filled in. You know, like like you said, man, it's you know, this is definitely the content that we need and like, you know, it's and when you look around at the other, you know, the other sports, I mean, it's kind of a bummer what's going on. I mean, uh, you know, another big news out of the New York sports world is like Yanis Cespedes just like quit. He just quit. Didn't say anything, and he just he just quit. And he's not playing in 2020 anymore. So, I mean, you know, the MLB is kind of struggling right now. I mean, they're gonna move move along with the season, but they're having a lot of issues with, you know, people getting you know infected and and having issues, you know, keeping tabs on everyone. But, you know, for right now, for what we can see, the NHL looks like they're keeping tabs on everyone. They're they're really taking this seriously, which is an awesome thing. Um, and, you know, obviously getting to see these guys out on the ice, you know, absolutely busting ass. Um, it's awesome. It really is. And it just gives me a lot of hope. And, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. that The NHL comes out of this pandemic, you know, looking like a million bucks, you know, as they should. You know, they're doing everything right. They're, you know, practicing social distancing. They're keeping everything to the bubble. So, you know, let's just hope that these playoffs keep kicking ass. We keep getting some great drama out of it. and. You know, sky's the limit, man. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you lead us right into the interview? Because this is a doozy and talking everything Chicago with Mark Rose is just what 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 our listeners are are craving. I think the only thing we didn't talk about with Mark were Chicago dogs. And that's maybe a missed opportunity. But, you know, maybe we'll get them on one time and we'll talk about Chicago dogs and beef sandwiches and all that stuff. But, uh, you know. Spittlefield is one of those bands that I, uh, you know, was very lucky to have discovered off of a comp, you know, a long time ago, almost, you know, 17, 18 years ago. And, uh, you know, I love them right off the get. And then I followed his career, you know, into his solo career and super cool. I actually was just following him. He did a live stream the other day where he was playing all songs from the 80s. Man's got a beautiful, beautiful voice. He's a super talented dude. And above all, he was great to talk to. So I really hope you enjoy our interview. Uh, you know, we chat about everything from music 
sports. We even get a little bit of, uh, of Chicago Bears talk in there, uh, you know, which is different for us, but I'm into it. So enjoy our interview with Mark Rose and uh, see you on the other side. Welcome back in. This is Bar Down Breakdown, episode number 74. And I will preface this episode with a question. And that question is, where were you when someone handed you the 2003 Victory Records comp? Because I could tell you where I was. I was at a Sam Goody buying, I think, like a Blink-182 CD. And it got put in my bag. And track three was, uh, I love the way she said L.A. (laughs) <laughs> and that was my introduction to Spittlefield, and that is your introduction to our guest today, uh, Mr. Mark Rose, who uh, you know was um, the lead vocalist and guitar player for guitar player, right? Guitar player. That's right. Yeah. Yep. For Spittlefield, and and obviously now is you know has a a, a budding solo career. So uh, we're here to talk all about music and uh, '90s hockey and today's hockey. But Mark, how are you doing, man? Appreciate hey, you being Mike. on. Hey, Mike. Hey, Tom. How are you guys? Thank you for having me. I'm I'm doing all right. You know, I mean, I feel like with the question of like, how are you these days uh, in this, you know, I don't know, in this climate, it's it's hard not to say all factors considered and yep, then right? say pretty good, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like I use this word ad nauseum, but it's just completely unprecedented, you know, the, the, the times that we're in and the changes that we're facing. But um, you know, obviously, you know, saying that we're good right now is one of those things where it's, you know, it can be a wishy-washy good, but, you know, good is still good. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. So uh, let's just dive right in. So obviously, I know uh, when we uh, had approached you for this, uh, for this interview, you, you know, we were talking about how you were uh, a Hawks fan, but you were like a big 90s hockey fan. So uh, um, if you can remember, like, your first memory uh, like going to a Hawks game or even like your first, you know, memory surrounding hockey, where did it start for you? Yeah. Well, you know, I think, I think for me, the, the nineties Blackhawks just, it, it represents 
a, a part of my my youth that I just I, I remember it so fondly. And you know, I I wasn't really a big ice hockey uh, guy myself, as in like I didn't I didn't play ice hockey. I didn't really love um, even ice skating all that much. My my buddies and I, who you know, a lot of them did play hockey. Um, and, and I would be asked to join and play like, you know, roller hockey and street hockey mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And, you know, kind of like Wayne's world style, you know, it's like, I, I liked, <laughs> liked being out there. Um, you know, I wasn't very good. Um, I, I certainly wasn't picked very high, uh, when it came to like the captains making their teams or whatever, but, yeah. I, but I loved playing and, and the, uh, the nineties Hawks, there was just something about it, you know, um, I, I suppose that those early those early 90s teams had a lot of characters on it and and maybe it's like everybody who's a hockey fan kind of remembers the players of course from their teams when they're young like to put it in perspective I, I i was you know i was born in 83 so those early 90s teams you know that's like you know when i'm eight nine ten years old um and and i you know you're very impressionable at that time and you know these guys had had attitudes and they were they were fun you know like i just you know, Jeremy Roenick and Steve Larmer, Chris Chelyhost, you know, folks like that, yeah. you know, like, it's just, I don't know, there's something that was so great about it. Also, let's not forget how incredible the, uh, the hockey, the NHL games were for like Nintendo and Sega, you oh, know, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's kind of like a little bit of like, that, that's like kind of how I got to know the league because it wasn't like I was like watching all, you know, everybody in the NHL or following it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, playing the video games and watching the Blackhawks. Like that was yep. pretty much it. <laughs> it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because like that was kind of my introduction to, to hockey when I was younger. So I was born in, in 87. And I think the first hockey game that I had ever owned was, I want to say NHL 94 for the Genesis. So oh, like, so good. Yeah. So that was, it was like kind of the whole idea was, you know, I was an Islander fan from when I was young because you know, that that's the, the household I grew up in, but that's how I got to learn, you know, the players that were on the West coast. Cause I mean, you know, as an Islanders fan, as a seven year old, you were never staying up till 10 or 11 to watch a West coast game. So like, you know, learning about, uh, you know, the sharks and the ducks and the Kings and like all these teams that were on the West coast. Like I learned about their players, you know, like Paul Korea and Timu Solani and, you know, Luke Robitaille and all these guys that were on the West coast, it was all from playing NHL 94. So that was, where I got my love of hockey from. And then, you know, obviously as I grew older, I just really dug into being an Islander fan. Uh, and that's kind of where it came from. Now, Mikey, I don't know if you're like, if your love of hockey, if it had anything to do with video games, I feel like you weren't like a big gamer. Were you? I like, I had NHL 94, but my biggest thing was like collecting hockey cards and, I remember okay, that's cool. I remember getting like Beckett's like that's what you would use to look up like the value of your trading card. And oh, yeah, that was really how I gauged if the guy was a superstar, like if their like card value was going up or whatever the terms were <laughs> like I was like, oh, that's a cool player. Like, let me look into him. And like, you know, this is early 90s. So there was no Internet. So a lot of it was going to the local newspaper and like go into the NHL standings or like actually trying to like see like stats. And that's really how I started to, I guess, recognize those superstars at the time, because even, even like 
the national TV coverage, like they might show a hockey game a week, if that. And, you know, it was always, you know, the, the Penguins or, you know, the, the Red Wings or, or, or those like dynasty teams at the time. Like they weren't showing, you know, an Anaheim Ducks game or, you know, any of those. I don't want to call them irrelevant teams, but non like traditional market teams. And yeah, hockey cards were huge for me, even though they are worth less than nothing these days. I still have a box probably at my mom's house of, you know, Mary Lemuse and Jeremy Yagers and all those those guys. <laughs> yeah, that that's the, the, the Beckett was a big deal. You know, it, it was a big deal. Like the hockey cards. Sure. Like for me, like especially the baseball cards um, and the basketball cards like but like, yeah, having having the newest Beckett was so funny because it's like how often did they come out but you have to get a new one you know because it's like you know things are ever changing and if you're like trading cards and assigning value to them be like well this card is valued at a dollar 25 and this card's valued at a dollar so i'll trade you for this one card that's worth two dollars and it'd be like a big debate you know like (laughs) oh absolutely i I remember i was that way with um with sports almanacs uh like you know the little like paperback ones that you could buy and like i remember when I was younger and I was like really big into sports, like I would always pester my mom to buy me like the new almanac when it came out because it had like all the updated stats from the year before and all that kind of stuff. Um, and you know, it's funny, you know, kind of this whole idea of crossover, obviously with, with you know, music and, and, and hockey specifically, I, you know, I was so big into sports until I started getting big into music. And like, it sure. was almost like, when I really got into music and like I put, you know, my energies full force into playing, writing, listening, like, you know, collecting CDs and records and stuff like I pulled away from sports big time. And like I just dove into music. And then finally, when I got a little bit older, you know, I was in my, my you know, college years, I was like, oh, I can like both. Like, I don't have to just, you know, listen to no effects and not like sports because, you know, sports, team sports are uncool and they're not punk rock or whatever the bullshit i thought when i was 16 you know right uh, but it's it's funny because now that i do this podcast and we we get to talk to people who have this love for both i always think to myself like how you know how dopey was that to think that i couldn't like both so I don't yeah know. you know what though it's it's not dopey because a lot of people felt that way and and you know i like when music started becoming you know uh not just i mean music was a big part of my life especially in, in middle school and in high school but once it became like my whole life I thought of sports as kind of being, you know, my escape from the everyday because music is, you know, when music becomes your job, you you love it, but it's still your job. So it's like, yeah. you know, being on tours and whatnot, I, I'd always seek out, you know, the other members of bands that were sports fans because <laughs> it gave you something to talk about every day. It gave you something to maybe even sneak away and watch or to, you know, just, just chat about. And like, it's, you know, it's, Sports are important for so many reasons, and it's almost like the sports itself is like the least important part. You know what I mean? It's like it's all the stuff around it. You know, like the friendships you you create, the the, the memories you make with your family, the the history, the individual players learning about their lives in the league, the drama that goes with it. I mean, obviously yeah. the results are important too, and like especially those big marquee moments that you never forget. Yeah. But I, I honestly think that like you know, sports are so much bigger than the games themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally well said. And I agree with that. And, you know, the more that we, you know, we do these episodes and the more that we talk to people, we we do realize that like, you know, 
Um, I forget who we were talking to. This is this is a while back, but someone said just that. Like, I will specifically, you know, when when we get tour packages and set up, and we're going out, and, and you know, we're we're playing all over the place. You know, I'll specifically pair up with the people who I know are hockey fans or football fans, and you know, we'll just you know have those conversations before we get on stage. We'll go on stage, we'll do our job, and then we'll get off stage, and we'll just keep chiding about it. So I, I think that's a cool thing for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like, you know, again, like I I mentioned it to you all when you reached out, but it's like, for me, uh, you know, I I follow all sorts of sports, you know, I mean, the thing about the NHL, and for me, at least currently, is that I, I really enjoy playoff hockey now, you know, it's like, I I have a harder time really keeping up with the regular season, you know, sans the Hawks, like I still follow like what they're doing, or, you know, back when times were a little more normal. Like, it's fun to go watch a game because I think it's like, you know, it's kind of about the company you keep, you know, like when you're watching sports and, and, you know, nothing quite like playoff hockey. I mean, playoff hockey is just, you know, it's its own beast. (laughs) Absolutely. And and the cool thing is, you know, we're we're getting this completely new semblance of playoff hockey, obviously, going on, uh, you know, starting in the next couple of days, which, uh, you know, we're we're super excited about, you know, obviously. um, Yeah. You know, the, the, the Hawks are, I think by the you know by the skin of their teeth but they're still correct me if i'm wrong mikey uh they're still in the round of 24 aren't they yep they're yeah, fa- they're they, facing the oilers yeah oh. but going to you know edmonton oilers and it's it's wild because it's like when everything got shut down the hawks were kind of an afterthought in a way in a lot of ways because it was like you know their season was, was so rocky and you know they were a letdown in a lot of ways and then they kind of put it together again and then it kind of fell off again and then yeah they they slid into this like very surreal you know thing that's happening right now and now it's kind of like hey you know what anything can happen like everyone's coming off of rest everyone is in a different mindset than they were before and you know I, I know they're they're older now but any team that's got you know Taves and Kane and Crawford has a chance to do something you know it, it could happen absolutely now Mark, you mentioned that you were like really hooked on the Blackhawks in the 90s, but yeah. You know, yes they had superstars on those teams. They didn't really get the job done. But then no. like, you know, fast forward to, you know, the 2000s and the Blackhawks finally get their their cup. And were you yeah. like totally glued into that Stanley Cup run? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. It it's I'll start by talking about the first part of what you said. And, and the thing is that the night, like the late eighties and nineties, and, and early nineties Hawks were consistently good teams and they consistently made the playoffs and consistently got knocked out, you know, with the exception of course, when they did go to the Stanley cup and, you know, in 92, now I was, you know, nine years old. So it didn't feel as big to me at the time, you know, like looking back at it, I, I realized now like, wow, that was really, you know, heartbreaking for that had been, you know, almost there, almost there, almost there to get knocked out by the Penguins. But it's like, if you're going to get beat by the Penguins, it may as well be, you know, Mario Lemieux, right? Because oh, it's yeah. like, <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, okay, fine. But, but yeah, like, it, it's kind of like when their era kind of came to a close, they got, they didn't just like kind of drop off. They They got pretty bad. Like, you know, like the early 2000s Hawks were kind of hard to watch and, you know, I was getting busy with other stuff and, and it slid away. And and maybe that speaks to, again, that hockey wasn't, you know, wasn't always my favorite of the, 
Chicago sports. Like I, I had an easier time watching the Bears when the Bears weren't good because of my like full, all-encompassing love of like the NFL and fantasy football and and you know whatnot. Like when the Hawks got kind of rough, it kind of became hard for me to watch hockey. You know, because I was like, we, we don't even have a dog in the fight anymore. You know, <laughs> uh, so then you know when things kind of shifted. You know, shifting back, it's like, you know, they draft Taves, they draft Kane, they're getting they're getting young and exciting. They bring in Joel Quenville, who, by the way, just cracks me up. Because even though he's, like, Canadian, it's like the most Chicago coach you could have is Joel <laughs> Quenville with that mustache and, and his, you know, just the way he talks. Like, everything about it was hilarious. Uh, and then they, like, immediately got competitive, and it was, it was wild, you know. Um, but even still, getting competitive again, they still weren't getting it. You know, they certainly weren't winning the whole thing, but winning the whole thing is so hard. You know, like I, there's a lot of great teams over the years, you know, all sports that, you know, have a great regular season and are fun to watch in the playoffs. And then something happens and it doesn't work out, you know, like, I don't know how y'all feel about, you know, what team wins at all, whether or not that you think they're the best team, but it's like, it's tricky. You know, it's like, is the best team uh, in the NHL, the team that's going to win the cup or is it? you know, who has that best series when it matters the most, you know? Yeah, that's, and, and I think that's what makes hockey such a special sport is like, you know, so like when you look at the, the NBA, I mean, like, yeah, you do have a kind of, you know, the quote unquote, any given Sunday feel where like, you know, anyone can win. But I mean, the disparity in, in the NBA, let's call it, uh, you know, is so much different than the, the, the NHL, because I mean, yes, so you, know, you can even, even chalk it up to last year when you had, um, uh, you know, uh, Calgary as, as the, you know, the one seed, you know, they get knocked out by an eight seed. And like, you know, you've, you've kind of got like this, this thing where, you know, if a, if a hockey team gels and they get on a good run, they may not be, as you call it, the quote unquote best team. But, uh, you know, if they get hot, if they're, you know, if they're, their plays are working and if uh, they're firing on all cylinders, I mean, you could have a seven or an eight seed win the cup, you know, it's, it's, it's happened before. So it's just yeah, kind of, that's I right. That's, that's a great thing about it. You know, it's just like, you never really know what you're getting into with playoff hockey. And I think that's what makes it so uh, like interesting for people to watch because it really is a completely different ball game than the regular season. That's, that's right. Yeah. And it's, you know, a, a great comparison talking about the NBA because, you know, I think it's good for, uh, you know, a, a team that is ranked a bit lower, maybe they're a bit younger to get in and get some experience, but you know, those, you know, one versus eight matchups don't really, you know, they're, they're not, not that intriguing. Whereas yeah. in hockey, it's kind of like, well, somebody is almost, it's almost like the, the number one seed is on their heels a little bit because they have a lot to lose. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and that eight seed is, you know, it's hockey. So, yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know, it, things, things can shift quickly. Oh, and, and they do. And like, even though the Hawks squeaked into like this new 24 team playoff, like, there's no way any hockey writer can write them off because they still have Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze. Like they, they could turn it on in the playoffs and it, it, it literally is a brand new season. And I think that the Hawks have just as good of a chance to, to win the cup than any of these like top four teams that are on like this buy. Like I, I really sincerely believe that they have yeah, just as good I mean a shot. And they're not, you know, no, no one is really picking them, and and understandably. So, I mean, it'll be, you know, for for starters, I, I hope that 
these games can can happen and everybody can stay safe and healthy because i mean all this stuff is wild it's like with all the sports that are back i'm like selfishly i'm so happy because it's like a much needed like you know distraction and escape and all that and then on the flip side i'm kind of like um is 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 this okay like is what's happening okay (laughs) but you know either way here it is so i'm going to try to enjoy it while it lasts and just hope everybody uh you know can can stay safe yeah and and i think the nhl like our friends they, they run this podcast called uh seltzer time and you know they actually got one of their instagram posts on the spitting chicklets uh instagram so like if you're following the the spitting chicklets guys like their barstool sports like they're huge in the hockey world mm-hmm. and their tweet i, I just want to find it so i read it word for word it's just so good because like all the other sports are returning and like baseball is having a hard time right now with all their positive cases and mm-hmm. yeah one of the leagues that sounds like they actually have a pretty good grip on it surprisingly is the nhl like mm-hmm. having these bubbles and having like the the quarantine time and and all of that seems like it might work out in might our favor. Work. It might work. Yeah. And their 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 tweet was be more like the NHL and less like the M the MLB. <laughs> so like yeah, who thought we would ever say that? Because NHL <laughs> right like the NHL is always the the laughing stock of all the professional sport leagues. Like we have lockouts like every other decade. Like it happens all the time and the fact that the NHL finally seems like they got it right is just so shocking to me. Well, it's, it's also funny because the NHL, like of, of the, uh, you know, of the major sports, the NHL is also one of the sports where it's kind of like accepted that the players kind of like do what they want and kind of like, it's like acceptable for them to like have a bunch of beers and then go play, which is like hilarious because like in other sports, it's like, Oh no, if that player is out partying, like, you know what I mean? Like, we all know they're they're going out, or at least some of them are going out. But with hockey, it's like, it's part of the, it's like, no, no, that's cool. It's like, they're actually probably better because they had a couple beers, you know? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and you know, you talk about, like, those 80s and, and 90s teams. Like, it was very common for those players to be, like, crushing beers, like, the night before, where, man, I, I don't think current nhl players are doing that as much as they right, used to yeah. but man except except cory crawford who's you know getting hurt at a rise against concert so I mean, that's <laughs> happening that is, yeah. that is true and you know the the funny thing is i i always take every opportunity i can to uh, i'm a huge professional wrestling fan so whenever i get an opportunity to inject a little pro wrestling into this <laughs> Uh, into this space I do and I usually only get about 30 seconds to do it before uh Mikey right, yells at me. You only got 20 now. See, there he goes. Uh but uh, <laughs> but you know like it's the same thing with like you know pro wrestling in the 80s. Like you know when you look at all those guys like you know your Harley Races and your Ric Flairs like all those guys like they weren't built like the professional wrestlers that were now. I mean they literally would go out there wrestle 60 minutes, go to the bar, drink until 5 in the morning, you know, get a couple hours of sleep, you know, wake up, do some calisthenics and like you know do it again so yeah right that's kind, of, that's kind of the way you know hockey players back then were. i mean you know they weren't like these you know incredibly fine-tuned athletes that were you know that had all the finesse in the world they were just like these like guys from like canada who were like we love this man let's like go try to win this humongous trophy 
And, uh, you know, obviously the game has changed so much from the way it was in the 80s and even the 90s. But sure. uh, that parallel is, is very interesting. You know, it's just like athletes nowadays are really fine-tuned. And I mean, precision-style athletes. And you can see it in the game. The game has changed, but I think it's changed for the better. It has. I mean, and, and I think, honestly, like, COVID-19 is kind of the perfect excuse for, like, the NHL to take even another step away from, like, the fighting and whatnot. And, you know, yeah. obviously, nostalgically, uh, there was something about throwing the gloves and pulling the jersey and all that. But now, but now it's like, you're right, now the, the athletes are, you know, they're more elite athletes across the board. And, you know, the training and the, you know, the development of these players is, is different than it used to be. And the game is faster and the players, there's more skills. And, you know, I, I, I guess it's also probably because, you know, it was more fun before, you know, <laughs> but it's like, you know, maybe it's like already fighting with like the playoffs and whatnot. It's really not a thing, but like, yeah, maybe it's a good time to kind of like, you know, continue to push that out of the game a little bit. Absolutely. For sure. So just want to uh, transition into just talking a little bit of music with you. So um, question, of course, that I've you know always wanted to ask and now I have the opportunity. So, you know, obviously 2003, you know, you guys uh, put, you know, remember right now out, uh, which, like I said, was my first a uh, little bit of exposure to you guys. And it was, I mean, a record I still listen to today. Um, although um, just in, my, in me being honest with you, you know how, um, you know, people will just like look at a cascade of records and always be like, oh, the first record is the best, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, sure. I think Stop, I think stop Doing Bad Things is, is, is your, your best record in my humble opinion. Thank but anyways, yeah. anyways, we can talk about it later. But uh, the real question I have for you is, uh, so remember right now comes out, obviously you guys signed to victory. Um, so if you look at that era of, you know, kind of mid two thousands, early, early two thousands with all of these record labels, I mean, you know, you have victory, you've got vagrant equal vision, uh, mm -hmm. fearless. So were you guys approached by any other labels to, to release music? And then you just ended up landing with victory because it was the best option for you. Uh, I, I just kind of am curious about that. Yeah. that. That's a good question, and and thanks for the kind words on stop doing bad things because I you know I think that was our strongest record as well. Um, so you know yeah there was there was a bunch of, of labels that were having impact you know on that like punk indie emo scene, mm -hmm. and you know for us like to, to kind of put things in perspective a little bit, when remember right now came out you know like. June of 2003, you know, I was, I was 19 years old. Okay. Yeah. So like, I, I you know, the, the, the bands that I had been like listening to that were like shaping my mind from like a standpoint of like, you know, like the punk scene and, you know, I don't know, I listened to a lot of different, you know, subgenres within that. Mm -hmm. um, there were all these great labels and, and Spittlefield had started when we were sophomores in high school. I was 15 years old. So like, you know, labels like Equal Vision and Revelation and, you know, things like that, like they, they all mattered to me. Like Victory Records yeah. mattered to me because of bands like Snapcase and Strife yeah. and, and these things that were like kind of shaping my mind separate from, you know, the, the 90s alt rock that I already loved because that yeah. was, you know also really some really great stuff there too but um we we had been a band you know for five years when that album came out however for most people you know understandably that was kind of our debut because you know everything before that was 
local Chicago type labels and, and you know, regional, um, you know, trading shows and stuff like that. And, you know, obviously in an era that was kind of pre-digital music. So, you know, it's like those, those like distribution catalogs from those labels you were just talking about, like they were very meaningful to us. So what we did was we um, had released our first like full length with an indie label. Um, the label's called Sinister. Um, and, and we um, actually it was a joint release with Sinister label and another label called Walk In Cold. And we did this album called Faster Crashes Harder. And this came out in 2001. And it was our first like time in a real studio. And, you know, we were still very young. Um, this is like, for me, you know, senior year in, in high school. Um, and um, into the first, you know, fall, first, first semester of college. Um, and, and we put that out. And we started putting more and more time into the band. Okay. So we started like kind of treating every weekend as an opportunity to, to play a show somewhere, every like break, you know, spring break, summer break, as an opportunity to try to tour, um, trading more shows with friends now who were like, you know, starting to spread out around the Midwest in different college towns and stuff like that. And, and we were really like feeling that momentum and that excitement, you know, for being a band. And and we went into this EP called the Cloak and Dagger Club, um, which you know, kind of became this turning point for us. It was this five song EP that that we decided let's send out this stuff to all of our favorite labels. And we like we literally had a friend take a photo and we printed out you know like eight by ten, uh, black and whites like at like a Kinkos. We wrote our own bio. We made a list of like local accomplishments. We put this EP in, you know, in a manila, like in a manila envelope, and like literally hand hand addressed them and mailed them out to like thirteen labels that we, you know, loved. And we didn't really expect anything from it. Uh, that said, over the next like two months, we actually heard back from like seven of them, and there was like legit interest from like four or five. And and we were floored by this. We were so excited, too, um, because a lot of these labels had released albums that were very meaningful to us. Mind you, we didn't really know the business. You know what I mean? Like, we didn't really know what it meant to be a band full time, mm -hmm. you know? So when it came down to it, you know, we got in some serious talks with about three labels, one of which was Victory. But if you can think about it now, looking back and like kind of think about where we were at, not only was Victory, you know, in our backyard being a Chicago label. But also, you know, it was like we we were feeling this like uh, this like excitement that when when Victory would like come out to a show that we were playing and and have a bunch of their staff there to like meet us and talk to us and stuff, it's kind of like they had an edge <laughs> because we we could like you know literally like see them and hang with them and and feel that excitement. And one of the things that they were talking to us about was how you know, they didn't really have a lot of Chicago artists. Like they had Dead to Fall, which, you know, a heavier band. But like within our genre, like, you know, they had just released Taking Back Sunday's Tell All Your Friends. And yep. obviously they were they were getting some buzz from that. Mm -hmm. But like they didn't have a ton of the like poppier stuff happening yet. And and they were really kind of pushing that on us, being like, you know, we 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 want more Chicago presence we like the band we like the you know kind of your story you know we followed along with what you've been doing and you know they really sold us on that um so you know i don't know it's it's tricky now because i don't i don't know what would have happened with other labels and i i feel like 
what victory did for us is really like get us out the gate and get us out the gate pretty quickly. Like yeah. we, from when we signed in January of 03, we were already in the studio um, recording, you know, by April. Um, and then that album came out in June. So it all moved very quickly. And like, we were like suddenly in a position to be like, okay, let's like stop taking classes. Let's quit our jobs. Let's, you know, buy a van. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, I know it's a long-winded response, but it's like, yeah, all of those labels were out there and they were, you know, they were all on our radar and we were on some of their radars and, and victory is just what made the most sense at that time. Cool. So Mark, I want to hop in here because you mentioned your Chicago music scene and how victory at the time didn't have a lot of Chicago bands, especially in like the, the pop punk pop scene. But mm -hmm. at the same time that you guys were, you know, establishing yourself in the Chicago music scene, there was this other small band by the name of fallout boy. Mm. What was like, I that? don't know if I know them. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> because your pets like are pretty much like started at the same time, like in the same city, like, do you remember playing some early shows with Fallout Boy? Yeah, actually, you know, it's it's even it's even more than that because we uh we had a lot of our a lot of our firsts together, okay? And and by that I mean you you were right on on the money about saying, you know, on a similar path because you know, summer of 2002, Fallout Boy and Spittlefield did a like essentially self-booked with the help of some friends like attempt at a tour and it was i mean i won't trade the experiences for anything but it was bad um and like it kicked off with a local show in the chicago suburbs and we felt on top of the world and then it's like you know us driving away in our vans and beeping and everybody cheering being like go get them and then it's like get three hours west and no one's coming to shows anymore you know what i mean like we don't have fans <laughs> uh and so we we attempted this you know summer tour together kind of fell apart um and then we were both like you know kind of taking that next step at the same time and and when they you know signed with feel by ramen we signed with victory this was all within like a few weeks of, of each other and, and then we both recorded back to back with sean o'keefe and it, they're doing take this to your grave and are literally wrapping up those sessions as we are entering to do remember right now and the thing is it's like we can't really look to either of them having been the template because it was like the producer sean was young you know we were young those records weren't out yet so you can't really say like "Ooh, this influenced that it's like nope we like literally did them back to back with the same producer mm -hmm. and and then their record came out in may ours came out in june like i want to say within a month of each other and then we did our first full u.s tour together that summer august september um it was the back to school tour fallout boy acceptance spittlefield and trouble is was the opener and and you know it's like all these things are happening at the same time now mind you while we were enjoying some momentum and excitement they were moving at a different pace and you know, it was cool to be a part of that because we obviously got to, you know, reap some of the benefits of that. It was also kind of like, you know, wild to see it kind of happen in front of our eyes, um, you know, quite literally as we were on tour together. Uh, and so after that summer tour, things are really picking up for them. 
you know, we, we ended up doing our first our, our first trip overseas to the UK together. And it was like our first time there and we're, we're sharing a bus. And also like the week before the tour started, um, we got called up by those fellas because Pete Wentz wasn't going to go on the trip. So TJ Minnick, our bass player, uh, learned their set and stepped in. So on the first UK tour, TJ from Spitalfield's playing double duty. He's playing the Spitalfield set and the Fall Out Boy set back to back. <laughs> and oh it's like, so all these things are happening, right? So now we're like, you know, post that tour, we're starting to make our next, our follow-up records. They're getting upstreamed from Field by Ramen to Island. Um, and they're doing their major label debut. We're making our second record, Stop Doing Bad Things. Um, and uh, they release from under the cork tree and invite us to play that show in Chicago. So we're on that show. And then that's the last show we ever played together. So, you know, to kind of put things in perspective from that point forward, they were kind of in a different arena, you know, well, <laughs> sometimes literally. literally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, so if Pete yeah, Wentz or any of those guys are listening, I think it's time for you to return the favor. And when you're playing these arena tours, uh, invite Spitalfield to do a reunion and play with you guys again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, you know, those, those guys are fairly spread out, but you know, I try to keep, keep up with them at least a little bit. Like Patrick has always been one of my favorite musicians in the Chicagoland area. And he's not only extremely talented, but like very, very sweet guy, very humble. And, and he, you know, he and I always connected, you know, and um, when he released some solo music, he was, you know, kind enough to have me open his like Chicago performance for that soul punk album and you know we exchange messages every now and again but yeah and then and joe troman too like you know joe is, is such a sweet dude and like you know it's so it's so fun to watch him do like different projects and you know i don't know like th things are just things are obviously different than they were when we were all so young uh but you know i wish nothing but the best for those guys and it's it's crazy to me that they became like and are one of the biggest bands like on the planet. <laughs> yeah, dude. yeah, it, it really is. It's staggering, um, you know, what they've been able to do. But, you know, they're one of those bands that uh, has, you know, evolved with the times. And, 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 you know, I think that's a good thing for a band to do. Um, but uh, one of the other questions I actually want to ask you about. So I know you had just brought up um, Sean O'Keefe, and I know you had uh, gone back uh, for some of your solo stuff. I, I think you did wonderful mm -hmm. trouble him uh but so stop doing bad things um i wasn't aware until i did a little bit of research for for this episode uh you did that with ed rose right that's right yeah Which no is, relation <laughs> yeah but um so i just wanted to ask you a little bit about that because you know ed rose you know to me obviously i mean you know one of my favorite bands the get up kids you know obviously he he works in conjunction with them all the time and i know he's done a, a, a bunch of other great stuff Mm -hmm. So what was the experience, uh, you know, working on that second record with Ed Rose? You know, how was that um, in terms of, in, you know, influence and obviously, you know, bringing kind of listening to Remember Right Now versus, um, you know, Bad Things is kind of like you could see your, what's it, like, like your trajectory, but more than that, you could see like how your music was evolving from, you know, being like maybe a pop punk record to like now like more of a like a fleshed out alternative rock record but uh how much of that was ed mm -hmm. rose's influence and how much of that was just you guys getting older changing and you know kind of changing direction a little bit yeah the um 
the recording experience with Ed Rose was, uh, you know, unlike anything we had done previously. And I think the Stop Doing Bad Things album as a whole is the product of us, you know, being on the road for, you know, over a year, year and a half, you know, on the Remember Right Now album cycle. Because, you know, up until Remember Right Now, we had played a lot of shows. We had done, you know, a bunch of our own attempts at like weekend trips and, and small two week tours and stuff, but it wasn't, it wasn't the same, you know? And, and once remember right now came out and we had a booking agent and we had a manager and we started touring full time that changed us, you know, and it, it forced us to, to, you know, kind of write album two from a different mindset. And a lot of it was written on the road and a lot of it was influenced by the bands that we were touring with and trying to kind of find that, you know, kind of that edge that represented a little bit more of our live show. Because remember right now was was more polished and was more, you know, more pop driven. Mm-hmm. And and that and that made us a better band because it forced us to get, you know, more accountable on our own instruments and, and get to be a better live band and to, you know, everything from like it's all the little stuff, you know, it's like really learning about like having energy on stage but trying to find breath control, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like I I, I look at like videos from like the 03 04 you know like tour dates and stuff and i'm like wow like i was i was trying so hard to you know put on such like a fun energetic show that you can hear how out of breath i am and stuff and i was like wow like i really had to like get better at those things and the band had to get better at those things and like bringing in like you know like i don't know like like okay we have a record we need to try to recreate now you know it's not just just plug it in and let it rip, you know? So heading into album two, we kind of had a different mindset, you know? And that said, um, I think you heard more of our collective interests on album, on Stop Doing Bad Things album, more than you heard on Remember Right Now, because Remember Right Now, to me, it it, it kind of leaned into that Jimmy World influence that was, you know, very much so something that was on my mind and with my writing style. And into the Ed Rose sessions, we started kind of going back a little bit to the bands that kind of shaped us that weren't just Jimmy Eat World and weren't just, you know, uh, you know, stuff like that. It was it was also all those all those Midwest indie bands that got us that are the reason we started Spittlefield. So like, you know, the Get Up Kids and, uh, you know, a big, huge, huge part of that um, yeah. the Promise Ring, Braid, you oh, know, sure. stuff like that. Yeah, um, so getting the opportunity to. Uh, pitch this album to Ed Rose and have him take it on was very meaningful to us. And it was also going to be the first time that we would actually make an album away from home. Because when you go work with Ed, you go to Eudora, Kansas, and you legit, you stay like in the, it's like Black Lodge Studio, you stay in the like, you know, studio apartment above the studio. So, you know, over the course of three weeks with like a little break, I think for, um, uh, for Thanksgiving, where we did come home, it was like, we were there. And I feel like we were focused and we were bonding and it was a different experience than when we recorded, you know, in Chicagoland or even remember right now we did record in Madison where we stayed like, you know, in a hotel and we're at smart studios for 10 days. But even that, again, that speaks to that whole thing I said earlier about like, we weren't really a full-time band yet, you know? So, um, yeah. So working with Ed was, was wild. We were, we were nervous around Ed. Um, you know, (laughs) Ed, Ed was like, very much so about the performance and and kind of like 
you know, when we sent him the production demos and whatnot, he was like, okay, like, uh, you know, this stuff is, is it's there. It's almost there, but I hope you come in prepared. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. like, we were like, what does that mean? Like, you know, we were rehearsing a ton and like in the studio, you could kind of tell our nerves a little bit, you know, being at Black Lodge where so many of our favorite indie bands had like recorded and working with Ed, who was kind of like a no nonsense kind of guy. He was super fun, you know, like, you know, we, we, we would have some good times, you know, pre and post sessions hanging out. But once we were recording, it was like, I don't know, it was very, uh, it was stressful, but in a good way, like kind of like a like intense, like pushing you way, you know? Um, awesome. Yeah. So, so stop doing bad things. Um, uh, I, I was really happy with it. And I thought the experience was great. And I know that the other fellows in the band were really happy to hear more of their, you know, more of their input on that album. Good stuff. So, Mark, I have a question about Chicago and the music scene because mm-hmm. for some reason I just am like so interested in like regional music scenes and sure. you know, we we mentioned about like the good old days like you and Fall Out Boy coming up, but like are you still in touch with the Chicago music scene and like what's going on now? Yeah, I am I am to a well, yeah, I would say I am. The thing is though, I I suppose like anybody else who's like been around and brought up in the Chicago music scene and then, you know, being a part of it with the band and now, you know, interacting now with my solo stuff, but still doing like events in and around Chicago and whatnot. It's like, I I could always use somebody guiding me for like new stuff to check out and like the new, the people that are stepping in now to fill those shoes and to, and to you know, represent chicagoland music because it's hard it's hard to keep up with it all and now more than ever there's tons of stuff out there with kind of this like digital era of like you know people are able to like really quickly create some pretty good sounding stuff you know like between recording software and digital distribution and everything else it's like there's kind of like a bigger flood than ever of like music in chicago so that's a good thing and i can use help to like you know guide that sometimes um but that said you know, it's cool because I see a lot of my peers now um, who are involved with a lot of really cool, important Chicagoland things like, you know, like Riot Fest, you know, and, and you know, my, my friends at like the different venues in Chicago who are promoters that have been doing it forever, who are now at that next level of their careers too, where they have people working for them and helping put together, you know, fill out their calendars and stuff. So it's like, I do feel, I, I still feel very connected in that way. And, you know, the Metro in Chicago is one of my favorite venues. It's where, you know, on our, on our farewell tours, where Spitalfield played our final show in Chicago. Like, you know, since then, of course, we've played some festivals and reunion shows. But, uh, you know, I, I literally got married at the Metro, you know, a few years ago. So it's like I, I feel very connected to the Chicago music scene still. And, and I'm really proud of, like, you know, the folks who have been able to navigate it because the music industry is so difficult and it's, it's ever changing. And it, you have to really be willing to hate music to be in music because it's 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 very trying, you know. And especially now with like the industry shutdown and everything happening with the pandemic, it's like, you know, more more than ever, I'm 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 feeling like <laughs> like Chicago's music scene is uh, is is strong and is going to like weather this storm. But it's it's a very difficult time for a lot of folks. Um, but but yeah, all that said, I I I try to stay up on it, you know. Now, maybe I, because like, I haven't been to Chicago that often, but has the the shift 
been more towards like the suburbs now because especially in like the pop punk scene it seems like they embrace like being from the chicago suburbs mm-hmm. or yeah, is that or is that always going that on yeah i don't know that it's more than before i think it's just um maybe it's it's easier to to be able to say that and to be and to have it be an okay thing <laughs> because like a, a lot of a lot of the you know chicago land uh you know, punk bands uh, from the era we were describing and talking about earlier, you know, a lot of them, you know, they were from the suburbs and those suburb scenes were really important, you know, and at the time you almost felt like, yeah, you have your own thing going, but then there's Chicago and you're so close to Chicago, but like Chicago and the suburbs didn't, you know, their crossover, it was, it was a very specific thing where it was like, oh, you could tell when there was like the Chicago suburbs bands playing at a Chicago venue because the types of folks that would then pile into the venue for the night. Whereas a lot of those folks and those kids were still going to shows in Chicago. They were still seeing Chicago proper bands too, but there was definitely a divide. And I feel like what happened in the mid two thousands was it kind of created this, this blend, you know? And cause a lot of those, those folks moved to Chicago and then, you know, made albums in Chicago and spent their kind of like college and post-college years living in Chicago. So it all kind of blended together. Also, it kind of like normalized being a Chicago suburbs band. So I think for like the younger folks who were coming up, who are now kind of stepping into those roles, being from the Southwest suburbs the Northwest suburbs or South suburbs is a thing that you can say and have it be kind of like, oh yeah, totally. Whereas like before it was like, oh, the suburbs bands. <laughs> you know what I mean? Gotcha. So did you guys sell Spittlefield as a Chicago band or? We as- did. I mean, I we the thing is we we I think we had to kind of find that middle ground because you know we we suddenly had like actual like people writing press releases and doing PR for us so it was like we were part of the Chicago scene for sure it's like we were going to school in Chicago we were living in Chicago three out of the four members of Spitalfield had an apartment together in Chicago so it's like yeah we were a Chicago band but you know Chicago land was kind of more appropriate I thought for us, you know, just because of our, our roots and our history having been in the suburbs. Um, but it's those Chicago venues and those Chicago labels that took a chance on us and, and allowed us to get to that next level. So I think it's all fair game. Cool. So I know Tom has a way more elaborate story about when he saw Spitalfield. I mm-hmm. actually only, unfortunately, have one specific time that I was able to catch you guys. And this is probably, I'm guessing, like 2005, 2006. You guys were on tour with Bayside and Valencia. Oh, yeah. And sure. I remember going to see you on Long Island at the Crazy Donkey. And yeah, that was the first time I sh- saw a show on Long Island that was not at the downtown. So, like, mm-hmm. the, the downtown was, like, one of those historic Long Island music venues that when I went away to college closed its doors and I never got to go again and it was kind of like bittersweet for me to like come home from college and then have to go to like this new music venue and I was like kind of like turned off by the whole thing because it was like a nightclub really and yeah it was just such a interesting time but you know you, you kind of mentioned how on tours you always seek out like the sports guys so like doing that tour with bayside did you and like (laughs) nick instantly hook up as being like the hockey guys well nick yeah and 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 nick was like a fairly recent addition to bayside at that time 
And yeah, we connected on that. And also Jack from Bayside to like, you know, into some sports. And I, I think, I think if I remember correctly, Anthony was a baseball fan. Um, but yeah, Bayside was, I mean, we, we toured with them so many times over the years that like, we always were kind of hanging out together. Um, and I, it's funny you mentioned the downtown because that's Farmingdale, right? Yep. Farmingdale. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Downtown had so many memories and I really like, I, I thought that was actually one of the like nicest, like, you know, mid-sized like clubs that we'd ever really played. And it's funny that you talk about how like when the downtown kind of went away, that shift to Crazy Donkey was like, oh no. But Crazy Donkey was decent too, but it just didn't it didn't feel right coming off of downtown. You know, it was like everyone just kind of missed the downtown. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think they were actually technically in the same town. Like I'm pretty sure that the Crazy Donkey is still listed as Farmingdale, yeah, New York. It, it's Farmingdale. Obviously, the, you know, the downtown was like kind of in downtown like, Farmingdale. Downtown Farmingdale. It was in kind of you know the Farmingdale area, whereas the Crazy Donkey was kind of uh, you know just near near that old Republic Airport. You know, off of one ten. Obviously, it was it's just to two totally different different um, experiences. But you know, obviously, we were talking about it a little bit off air. You know, my uh, I I think it was the first time. Do the first or second time that I that I'd seen Spitalfield. I've seen you guys a couple of times, but I, really it was the most memorable time uh, was at a Hellfest, and uh, so it's just it's a very funny thing because you know any listeners that know about what Hellfest was, obviously it was a tremendous uh, like hardcore music festival. Essentially, you know, it was over a couple of days. You know, I, I think the the one I went to, like Agnostic Front played, and like uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, I think mean, Kill Your Idols. And I mean, like, you know, like, you know, just real heavy, I think even Municipal Waste played. But it's just like, you know, you go to this thing specifically to see hardcore bands. But for me personally, you know, I loved more aggressive music. But at that time, I was really into kind of, you know, like pop punk and, and, you know, emo and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I was big into, you know, going to see that band Park and, you know, all that's mm -hmm. like, you know, the, the ones that no, no one else really going to see. But I made it a point with all of my buddies that I went with. So I was like, yo, you know, I love Spitalfield. I got to go see Spitalfield. So, and, and I think if I'm not mistaken, I think you guys are playing uh, the main stage. The, yeah, uh, yeah. The Hellfest experience is wild. And like what you're describing is like how Hellfest, while it was definitely catered towards the heavier crowd, they also were pretty inclusive, especially for the, yeah. for the labels that had that representation that had like, you know, those other uh bands you know like juliana theory and, and acceptance yep, and, too, and i love Park. yeah and 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 the thing is that a lot of those groups have crossover it's like with juliana theory you've got the zeo crossover you know like members of spitalfield all played in in hardcore bands as well i was in a grind band our drummer was in a youth crew band you know what i mean like wow, okay. we we all have that stuff too and you can maybe kind of hear a little bit of that in what we're doing but obviously we we lean towards that you know, more of that like driving pop sound. So it was definitely, we stuck out like a sore thumb and like, you know, we had like a, a very modest, small crowd compared to the stage next to us where yeah. half the people watching us were just waiting for that next band to play. Yeah, right. Like, I understand that, you know, and, <laughs> and we were, you know, even though we'd been a band, like I said before, for like a number of years, we were still a young band to everybody else. So, okay. yeah, yeah. But no, that was, it was just, you know, a fun story to share. And, you know, obviously I, I made sure that I saw the uh, Juliana theory when I went as well, just because, you know, another big band and Brett, uh, you know, a huge uh, Penguins fan, uh, you know, <laughs> which is kind of funny too. Uh, but, uh, 
So uh, real quick, you know, before we, you know, before we, uh, we start wrapping this up, I, yeah. I do want to bring up, uh, you know, the wild type. Uh, so, you know, obviously that's the last full length that, you know, you would put out uh, mm-hmm. under your, your own name, your solo stuff. And I mean, man, that, that, that fantastic record, very, you know, very kind of chilling, haunting at times, obviously seems like a very personal record for you. Um, I, I guess the, the big question is obviously, you know, coming from Spitalfield, which just kind of understanding the context from what you were saying, it looks like, you know, even though Spitalfield was a band, it seems like was the onus for songwriting in Spitalfield on your shoulders a lot. And then kind of the rest of the band fleshed it out around you or like, how was the songwriting process for Spitalfield uh, obviously versus your, your solo stuff? Yeah. The, well, I'd say that was <clears throat> with Spitalfield. I, I, I suppose one way to look at it would be like, uh, I guess as the primary songwriter, if that makes okay. sense. And, no, and, and like, you know, um, what, what I tried to do is that, you know, I, I would bring these songs or these ideas to the table. And what made the band, like the band, was that everybody kind of had their thing that they did to it. Sure. And like, it was kind of like challenging me for like what, you know, what I was doing and then me challenging them to kind of like hone it in and, and help us create our sound. And, you know, like anything else, there's, there's highs and lows with that. There's going to be friction. It's like a family in a lot of ways, you know? So it's like, um, the, um, the, the key to the whole thing was kind of like, you know, having that, that mutual respect for, for one another and, and, and letting, letting each other kind of soar with like what their lane was and what they were good at and really try to push each other because, you know, I, I often felt like, okay, like with each record came a new opportunity. And like, as the like primary songwriter, I had to learn how to like let go of certain things to, to let more people's ideas and, and talents in. And I feel like we were at our strongest when we were, we were all feeling more committed and more involved. And, you know, because of that, when the band ended, um, you know, we'd been a band for nearly a full decade. Kind of the first thing I wanted to do was like, remind myself, you still want to write music. You still want to write songs, of course. But, you know, it, it was a big undertaking for a long time to like have that band be my life. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to write some songs. And that kind of just naturally turned into me recording what would be my first solo effort. But I think that like what I did was go the complete other direction of the band because I was like, I've been doing it for so long. I needed the change. And, and, you know, I started to do more, more singer songwriter style pop stuff. My early, especially the earlier stuff, it's a little bit more like, kind of like, like, kind of like, you know, I don't know, like, like blues soul meets pop acoustic singer songwriter stuff. And, that that I was really into it and I loved having all these different players that would come in and work on my stuff with me and like, you know, these session players that were just killer, you know, at like horn sections and, you know, like R and B rhythm sections and stuff. And I loved all of it. And I think what it did for me was kind of like propel me out there to say, hey, you know, just because the band's over doesn't mean that you can't still press forward and create. And mind you, I was still in my mid twenties um late 20s so it was like you know of course i still want to make music so then what i did was over the course of a few eps and now heading into the wild type which is now my god already five years old i feel like i started to kind of hone in all the different things between the band 
and my solo stuff and kind of put it in a blender and be like, this is kind of who you are. It's kind of like a storytelling, cinematic, poppy, chill thing, but you got to still find that energy. And it's a difficult thing to do. And I feel like I'm still searching for that, but I, I, I take a little bit of like, you know, uh, a, a little bit of pride in the idea that it's like, well, I'm trying not to release the same record twice and I'm trying to continue to evolve and I'm continuing to make music that's important to me, whatever that means. So yeah. it's a challenge, but, um, you know, I, I still love doing it. And folks who kind of grew up with any part of my, you know, my voice or my songwriting as a soundtrack in any way, like it's meaningful to me that I can have people that we're listening to remember right now, checking out what I'm doing now and being, you know, in a different place in their lives too. So, you know, all that stuff kind of keeps me going. Excellent. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, that, that's, that's to be expected. I mean, you know, you're even for me personally, you know, like I said, I, I, I still listen to, you know, to stop doing bad things. I still listen to remember right now, you know, occasionally, but the wild type is a fantastic record, you know, obviously not trying to, you know, blow smoke up your butt or anything crazy like that. But I mean, the truth of the matter is it's, it's really cool to see how, you know, you, you wrote this record in 2003, right? And now 12 years later, you have put out the wild type and it's like, you know, it, it's kind of cool to, yeah, still hear your voice, but hear it in a completely different context with, you know, 15 years of songwriting under your belt and touring and understanding the music industry and understanding who you are as a musician and kind of coming out with this you know, magnum opus to speak. And it's just really cool to have, you know, for me personally, to just have kind of watched you evolve. And, uh, and I think Thanks. a lot of other, other listeners, yeah, of course. And I think a lot of other listeners who have, you know, followed your, followed your lineage and, and have enjoyed your music could probably say the same thing. So uh, super cool to have, have chatted with you. The last little question I have, you know, I, I know you mentioned, uh, you know, obviously you, you being a Bears fan. <laughs> just out of curiosity, are you team Trubisky or are you team Foles? Like, where's your brain at? <laughs> Oh man. Well, okay. Let, let's just <laughs> let's just start by saying that, you know, I, I've had to come to terms and had to accept the idea that, you know, with that draft pick that Deshaun Watson and Pat Mahomes went elsewhere and that that was this the decision made at that time. Yep. And and it's like, you know, hindsight, yeah, oh my gosh. But oh, it's it's the Bears quarterback history is just it's part of our history is that we have one right yep. <laughs> and yeah. and and like I, I don't know like I, I I like Jay Cutler like I, I I'm like well you know what like there's there's um so many iterations of the Bears and the Bears have been obviously built on their defenses for like their championship team and then yep. their most recent time getting back to the Super Bowl was with defense I mean we had Rex Grossman playing quarterback in our in our last Super Bowl appearance, you know what I mean? <laughs> so all that said, I want to give Mitch Trubisky uh, the room to to develop, you know, because it's like we've, we've gone through different changes, uh, you know, from the coaching standpoint, we've gone through different changes, uh, you know, with a lot of player personnel and stuff like that. And he is, Mitch is, and I will say this on record, Mitch is an elite athlete. That said... I don't know if he can take a step forward or not to be a successful quarterback for the bears. Like the, you know, he got thrown into the fire his rookie season because he came in unexpectedly when he was supposed to be still sitting. Then he had an incredible year after that. 
And it's ironic that like, you know, Trubisky versus Nick Foles is kind of like what we saw the year where the Bears got knocked out of the playoffs by the Eagles. And Nick Foles is a champion. That said, is Nick Foles an elite athlete? I don't know that he is, but I know that he's solid and that the coaching Mm -hmm. staff, a lot of the, the people on the coaching staff are familiar with Nick and have had history with Nick. So what I'm hoping happens here, whoever week one starter is, assuming that there is a week one, whoever the starter is, is going to be on a short leash for the other one to come in. So it's kind of like, I wouldn't put it past Matt Nagy to be like, we're running both of them. Like, you know what I mean? We're going to run plays. We're going to do it drive by drive. And obviously that's not sustainable, but, but part of what made the bears exciting two years ago was that there was crazy um, play calls happening with interesting player personnel on the field. And I do think Matt Nagy is trying to maybe coach the team he wishes he had instead of the team that he does have. So I think having Nick Foles, I mean, obviously a very expensive addition to our team, but they didn't have to give up a lot. They had to pay, you know, it's gonna be a lot of money. They didn't have to give up a lot to get him. I'd be happy with either of them as our starter this year, to be honest. I just hope that it's not, like Trubisky comes in and throws a pick and everyone starts booing and calling for foals. Cause that's not fair to either of them, to be honest. Yep. But if I had to be on team one or the other, I'm still on team Mitch because I, I would like to think that he could be our quarterback for years to come. If he can figure some things out and if they can call the right plays for him. Um, that said, you know, I'd be happy with Nick Foles, uh taking us on a, uh, you know, on a playoff run and doing what he does, which is that magic that he somehow has captured multiple times. <laughs> yep, absolutely. But uh, so you heard it here first, officially, Team Mitch. And, you know, if you have a problem with it, uh, you go reach out to Mark Mark Rose. Yeah, contact me. Let's talk and, about and it. And yell at him. But uh, listen, man, again, Mark, dude, it's been such a pleasure getting to, uh, to chat with you, catch up. Um, like I said, huge fan of, of Spittlefield, huge fan of your, uh, of your solo stuff. And, uh, you know, can't wait to see what's coming out next. Um, and as the NHL season, you know, hopefully, you know, broadens and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll hope for good things for the Hawks. Obviously not too good because, you know, I, I don't want my Islanders to lose, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, man, it's been such a blast uh, chatting with you. We appreciate you giving us, uh, you know, your time and, um, you know, getting us out there. And, uh, you know, like I said, as the season progresses, if the Hawks make a deep run, we might be reaching out to you again and, and getting, you know, some new perspectives. So uh, we will keep you on our list because it's been such a great time chatting with you and we hope to do it again. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you guys for having me. And, you know, I, I appreciate the invite and it was really, it's, it's fun conversation. And, you know, like I said, sports is, is such an important uh, thing in my life and sure. finding those folks that, you know, music is their lives and sports are a big part of it too. It is always fun to kind of like let loose and have that other kind of nerdy side of us uh, <laughs> come out, you know? Hell yeah, yeah, man. Absolutely. And uh, if we ever do a bar down breakdown NHL 94 tournament, uh, I'm sure you'll, you'll, you'll be one of our entrants, right? Oh, please. And if you know what, if you make it NHL 95, I'll probably be even better. <laughs> done and done. Thanks. <laughs> Take care, guys. Thank you very much. Yep, see you, Mark.
chatting with Mark Rose from Spitalfield again. Super awesome, man. Um, just, you know, something about like just his candor and like the way he, uh, he responded to everything and just the kind of like back and forth, you know, we had was, was just really excellent, man. And, uh, you know, getting to talk to him about, you know, those, those nineties Hawks teams and, you know, what he feels about, you know, the current climate and obviously, you know, just chatting Spitalfield and learning a little bit more and even him sharing those, uh, those parallels with fallout boy and how they kind of were coming up at the same time was super cool, really super cool. So, uh, really, really pumped to have, uh, been able to share that with you guys. And, uh, we, uh, here at bar down breakdown have some news, some really cool news. And I will flip it over to the main man, Mikey, to talk a little bit about, uh, bar down's future and you know what we've got going on. Yeah. So we didn't just stop at our logo. We we've, uh, done a little bit of a rebrand we've you know combined bar down so like even though grammatically bar down should be two words we've you know we're just punk rock and we don't follow grammar rules so we're just gonna make it <laughs> bar down one word break down one word and then uh got the new logo and then what i'm super excited about is we have linked up with the hockey podcast network and by joining up with the network, we're just going to expand our horizon. We're going to reach new ears and also be able to land some cool interviews for you. Because by joining the network, you are literally doing that. You are networking with other like-minded people who love hockey, who are following hockey just as closely as Tom is, Tom is and I am. So just having that kind of network to to expand our horizon and to get like experts of other teams to come on quickly and fill us in on how other teams are doing you know when we have a regular season and also like former nhl players and current nhl players so like having a network is going to help expand uh expand the show and grow the show and you know hopefully in return we can help grow the hockey podcast network and uh you know, it's run by really great dudes that have a vision, and I, I really want to help uh, make their vision come true. So, linking up with the Hockey Podcast Network, um, it's really cool because they have a show for every team. So, there is team-specific shows for every single NHL team. So, awesome to to have literally, what, 32 NHL podcast yeah. on the network, but then they yeah. also have original content shows and um, two that stand out to me right now, you know, as I'm still getting comfortable with the network, they have a Terry Ryan podcast, you know, former NHL player, and then they have um, a Road to Recovery podcast, which is um, the story of, you know, an NHL player who was in the show and then, you know, his time ran up in the show and actually got hooked to doing some pretty hard drugs so like you know it, it's his story of redemption and recovery and you know it's just a really cool perspective because you know even though he was on cloud nine living it up in the nhl you know things happen and uh definitely gonna be checking that show out but you know just being with you know even associated with these shows is just such an honor and i'm, I'm super pumped to to continue putting out shows you know under the hockey podcast network now um 
One thing that will slightly change, and this was going to change anyway, because, you know, as you all know, I'm a fourth grade teacher, so back to school time is here, and putting out two episodes a week is just not manageable, especially with a little one on the way. So um, with joining up with the Hockey Podcast Network, we will be putting out just weekly shows, and our day that we're going to drop is going to be on Tuesday. So. Make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss our new drop date. And uh, all good things, man. I'm just super excited to join up with them. Yeah, I mean, me too. It's a great opportunity. The guys are fantastic. Um, You know, you couldn't have said it any better. You know, honestly, just the opportunity to network, uh, you know, to be a part of a, you know, a great network that uh, has our interests in mind. Obviously, you know, we, we, we just, for us, it's all about hockey. I mean, you know, it's all about music for us too, but you know, it's a great thing to be able to be part of a network that focuses on hockey, which is the sport that we love. Um, and, uh, we're super excited for, you know, what we're going to bring to you. You're still going to get the same old bar down breakdown. You're still going to get me and Mikey just gushing over, you know, the bands that we love and saying stupid, dumb stuff. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, not going to change the way you hear us. It's just going to change a little bit about the way you get to us, but we are super excited for the future. Uh, one last thing I did want to mention before, uh, we send you out. Um, I finally, uh, received, uh, the, the buddies at coast to coast hockey sent, uh, me some big man shirts and I got them in the mail, uh, yesterday. And I got to say, man, they are the dopest shirts. They're the softest shirts in the universe. Uh, super great designs. Uh, they got me this awesome, you know, black flag logo that they do, which I'm, I can't get enough of. And uh, this keep hipsters out of hockey shirt that looks like a PBR shirt that again, I, I just absolutely love it. So I just wanted to give a, uh, you know, one last shout out to our guys over at coast to coast hockey. You can get them at C2Chockey.net. Uh, they've just got some great apparel, uh, you know, which we love. They were gracious enough to send me some stuff and I will wear it proudly. Uh, great guys, great merch. So I just wanted to, again, you know, give them some love. Coast to Coast Hockey, go check them out, c2chockey.net. Just buy their stuff, man. I mean, they've got this awesome Oilers shirt that says Coast, and it's like this cool little orange, and, like, I would wear the hell out of that. And they've got, a, you know, a, a Leaf shirt. I mean, look, I don't have to tell you. You just go to their website. You'll see it all. It's awesome stuff. So, again, c2chockey.net, our dudes in Coast to Coast. Big ups. Thank you so much for, for showing us the love. And uh, I just had to chuck that in there, man, because I was super pumped about the quality of their stuff. So I hope you will be too. On that note, um, dude, I mean, like, I'm, I'm kind of ecstatic, man. There's so much good stuff going on. We got hockey back. Bardown's doing great things. Uh, and we're excited to have you along for the ride with us. So we really hope you enjoyed our interview with Mark Rose. We've got some awesome stuff coming up. Uh, don't forget to catch us at, uh, you know, at BDBD podcast, at Bardown Breakdown, uh, bardownbreakdown.com, where you can check out all of our archived episodes. Of course, we've got our playlist and our playlist is always rocking. Um, our, our dudes in, in all alone, uh, just formally dropped, uh, one of their, their new tunes, which we bumped all the way up on the playlist. So please make sure to check that out. Cause that shit is dope. It's fire. And as always, we hope you find your new favorite band because that's what we're in the business of doing. So. Enjoy hockey, interface with us, catch us on Hot Mike, where Mikey is going to be uh, 
doing stuff almost every day. I can't do it because my computer is from 1993. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and that's all I got to say. So Mikey on that note. Yeah, definitely check out hot Mike because I got a few shows under my belt and it is a ton of fun. Like just, you know, watching games that I don't necessarily have too much skin in and watching it with some of our former guests and, you know, just interacting with our fans and people tuning in. It, it's tons of fun. So definitely go download that hot mic app, enter that invite code bar down breakdown and come watch some hockey with me. And you never know who's going to pop in. So yeah. Yeah. Who popped in the other day was, uh, was Joe, Joe, Joe from, from Ice, Ice Nine, Nine Kills, Kills. talking about Papa Roach. And you were like, I, I, I thought everyone hated Papa Roach. And he's like, no, everyone loves Papa Roach. And you're like, <laughs> Oh shit. <laughs> Yeah, that's the kind of content you can expect. Guys. Yep, and it's great. It is so, great. Um, so, like I said, get on the hot mic, man. Get it. Interact with us, man. We uh, we we love to see it. So, uh, Mikey, appreciate you as always. And All right, you Tom. do your thing, and then I'll do the thing that I do. All right, man. It's been real, man. Peace <laughs> be with you. And also with you.
I'm Corey Francia. I'm Richie Suave Flores. And this is Sporty with Corey and Richie Suave. On the Hockey Podcast Network. What did I just listen to? Oh, this game. This game is this game is just bullshit now. Oh my gosh. I actually they actually make me feel uncomfortable. What was it? Panty what? The game has gone to bullshit. Panty melted? Why do we record these during the middle of games? Oh, God. Be sure to listen to Corey and I every Monday. We are your go-to source for the Arizona Coyotes on the Hockey Podcast Network.